Hey, GG peeps, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore on Twitter, uh, continuing to question GG peeps as an official fan title for people. The fans haven't stopped me yet, and they may never. We'll see. How are you doing this evening, Josh? I'm well, and how are you? I got no complaints at the moment. It's 8.30, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. Um, that's pretty much kind of been my week. I, I might be a little hyped up because I drank an entire Mountain Dew Code Red like an hour and a half ago. You know my feelings on Code Red. That it's delicious? No, that it is... Uh... <laughs> A, a bastardization of the principles that uh, brought Mountain Dew to the public consciousness. Oh, man. So don't even get you started on Major Melon, then, I imagine. No, I, I actually hate that there's now this rainbow <laughs> panoply of <laughs> Mountain Dew flavors and colors. All the flavors of the Mountain Dew rainbow, Brandon. I know. I just I grew up on a particular Mountain Dew. I only like what I like. I suppose that's fair. Uh, I want to take a moment real quick to say hello to everyone joining us from the Samsung Podcasts app. Which oh yeah, this I is ridiculous. <laughs> featured us at some point last week because our download numbers went through the ceiling very quickly. Uh, yeah, it was wild. I was texting first. I was texting Josh and then we were um, together and I was like, look at this. And numbers are up like week over week like by thousands of percents <laughs> and all of a sudden we it looked like we were getting all this traffic from the samsung podcast app uh the best we can figure is they featured us in some way shape or form or pushed or forced us upon a bunch of their listeners in some way shape or form but if you came here because of the samsung podcast app we're very glad to have you <laughs> yes hello and welcome and uh please write a review and tell your friends and family and uh yeah telephone telegraph tell a friend tell samsung about the <laughs> goblins and growlers podcast <laughs> and while you're at it if you're listening to this on the samsung podcast app uh why don't you go ahead and subscribe to quid pro roll which is our sister podcast that's an actual play that we release weekly where Brandon plays an over-the-hill professional wrestler, and I play a rogue who ends up being one of the more moral members of the party. Yes, it's a, a true high fantasy adventure, notwithstanding the fact that I play a wrestler in a cowboy hat. <laughs> um, Josh, another reason I think both of us are pretty exhausted is because of last weekend. Yes, returning home from QCAC and laying down in my bed for the first time in three days on sunday was truly truly rewarding for those without context uh we were at qcac queen city anime con in charlotte north carolina last weekend from thursday night until sunday evening i actually didn't get back until like 11 o'clock sunday night uh but yeah, we i think that's close to when i got back as well yeah we stopped on the way back somewhere somewhere about halfway between charlotte and richmond at an ihop that will remain addressless because it was a subpar experience but that pushed uh -huh. us that pushed us like our arrival time by like an hour and a half but i was so exhausted we did panels we did live shows we ran a booth we ran the tabletop role-playing game room uh got to meet a lot of new people got to see a lot of folks 
who we've seen in years past because we've been going there um, since 2019. And a lot of folks always uh, make a point of coming and seeking out our booth to hang out and say, hey, it was it was really good. We also did a couple collaborations with the Cosplay Wrestling Federation. That was really fun. Um, those folks are great. They're weird, but they're great. Um, shout out to G, uh, who's probably won't listen to this, but uh, he was great <laughs> to work with. Um, he talked a lot about role play games, but I actually don't think he listens to our podcast, but I'll have to send it to him. We'll have to get him on or something like that. We could talk about uh, Nathan Paletta's worldwide wrestling RPG. I mean, we could also talk about what it's like to perform live in front of a, uh, audience full of nerds. Yeah. Oh, speaking of audience in front of an audience full of nerds, we, we, I like to say we closed out QCAC on Sunday with our quid pro roll live show, which, uh, we're working on getting, uh, footage from so we can put that up on the patreon if you're not on the patreon and you want to see that footage uh all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash goblins growlers and sign up at the five dollar or higher level let's not make promises until we actually have that that video file in hand i made friends with the camera guy and he said he would email me about it but i haven't heard from him yet (laughs) well hopefully hopefully uh, this isn't like last year's live show where they said we definitely captured it and then they handed us a USB flash drive with nothing on it. Yeah. Well, this time the camera was literally right in front of us and we talked to the guy afterward and he's like, I will get you the footage if I can. It's true. And it was also a whole different person. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. A whole separate human being. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, that's that's why we're a little out of sorts. You know, the la- two weeks ago, the last episode that we had was uh a little bit uh loose let's say in our our formatting and professionalism uh we went on a real stem winder uh digression about the soviet arcade museum and various other things uh we're hoping to be a little bit more structured today but you know just bear with us because we're a little uh a little tired a little out there um i've been work. i've immediately had to get back to work this week and have just been grinding at that but then again our uh our episode, our most recent episode that we did where everything was all loosey-goosey is currently uh, sitting at the top of the charts as our most downloaded episode. So we must have done something right with it. <laughs> we, fair, found the, we found the SEO unicorn of what to call it or something. Maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. It's probably all the Soviet arcade games. That's probably what spiked our downloads through the roof. Like, who else is talking about Soviet arcade games? I don't know of anybody. That's a real that's a niche podcast that needs to get exploited <laughs> real quick. But let's kick it off uh so we're not sitting here talking until like 10:30 tonight so we can both get some sleep. But uh scratching that itch, the uh segment we're trying desperately to make a regular occurring reoccurring thing on the podcast where we hop on itch.io and check out a cool indie uh tabletop role-playing game uh and I have found a delightful one for us to discuss today. It certainly is something that should have the phrase similar to but legally distinct from somewhere somewhere in its branding because it is iToaster, which unless you are completely like burying your head in the sand is quote unquote inspired by the brave little toaster. I did not notice this when you initially introduced me to this concept but did you notice in the top right it says submission to cease and desist jam i did i saw that i thought that was funny <laughs> but uh the um the cover of it and i'll 
for those of you watching this on video, I'll click on it here. But you can see um, it's got a little toaster that is similar to, but legally distinct from, the Brave Little Toaster. The, um, the rulebook is released as a 32-page uh, book that's, uh, you know, bent over and stapled. And uh, it is designed like an old-style uh, appliance catalog, which I think is really neat. Yeah, the Smears Home Catalog. But you go through <laughs> and it, it lists other appliances like coffee pot, microwave, blender, mixer, and gives you stats for them. And then you've got larger appliances like an oven or a fridge. And it has uh, character creation where you have to uh, essentially list what uh, what you are, what ideals define you as an appliance. Uh, you uh, like talk about your chassis and you get automatic five points of health. And then you name three functions that you have uh, in the actual book. One of the examples they have is uh, a printer uh, with uh, eyes and like sort of like Pixar-esque uh, with uh, paper coming out of its mouth. And you can see on the uh, on the actual page. So you don't even have to like buy it to see some of this stuff. But you can see they've taken like a coffee pot and put a little face on it and put the book next to it and everything. It's really it's really <laughs> charming. Um, I read through it. I read through it quickly earlier and it... Uh, I really want to play this. It has 2D6 roll under system. So sort of, you know, powered by the apocalypse vibes on it. And the character creation and the character sheets are fairly simple. There are features and accessories that you can add to your appliance on a random table. Uh, it comes with a starter adventure and some adventure hooks. And it, believe it or not, comes with a small bestiary. <laughs> and it gives you character building tips like... Kitchen appliance questions. What's your owner's favorite meal? What appliance helps prepare it? Uh, the owner places every appliance in a specific place. What's yours and why does it matter? Uh, this is just delightful and I love that this exists. Um, it's 10 bucks and it's, you know, so it's not pay what you want. So it is a straight up $10 bill. And uh, I think it's worth it though, because they clearly put some work into this. This was done by um, Tony Vicinda of Plus One EXP, and it has art by Billy Blue and a standalone adventure by Madeline Ember. It is very much worth checking out. It's so cute. Uh, I am looking forward to running this when I get a chance. In, uh, in preparation for this episode and to talk about this, I checked out Plus One EXP just to see, you know, what kind of other stuff have they done? And it looks like they gather material that other folks have created and they help them get it published, which is pretty cool. And Tony Vicinda has actually created another system called Beards and Beyond, which is uh, D&D, but with beards, I believe. So <laughs> I'm, I, I love the concept. I dig the vibe overall. The fact that this was created for a cease and desist jam Mm -hmm. is just so wonderful to me. Oh, another thing that's really worth pointing out is, uh, you know, on Itch, sometimes you can have, like, different, uh, essentially different packages you can purchase. Uh, you, know, you know, community copies, just regular copies, press copies. They also have Terrific Tony's Tantalizing Tabletop Toaster Tales. Play a session of iToaster <laughs> with Tony, you, and three of your friends. This includes digital copies of the game for all players and a customized adventure just for your party created by Tony. We limit these uh, to manage our schedule. If they're sold out, please drop us a line and let us know if you're interested. And they have currently four remaining, and it's $120. I mean... You're talking about, what, four copies of the game, right? So that's mm -hmm. 40 bucks right there. 
Yeah. So it's he's only asking 80 bucks for how long? Uh, it doesn't say how long. It just says an adventure for you and three of your friends. So really, if you take the 120 and divide it by four of you, that's 30 bucks a piece. So, you know, you're, if you get a copy of the game with it, you're essentially paying $20 per person to play. With someone who really knows that system well. With a so, customized adventure. Yeah, that's that's I think that's pretty reasonable, all things mm-hmm. considered. Yeah, as always, we'll put a link to the itch page. Uh, it's tonyplus1.itch.io. Uh, and then the page for iToaster is slash toaster on that. So check it out. It's It's very good. I love it. I love it conceptually. I also am one of those people who is dramatically scarred by Brave Little Toaster growing up mm-hmm. uh, to, the, to the point where I got sad about a pair of uh, Wolverine sneakers mm-hmm. that I had outgrown because I was like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to just give them away. They've been so loyal to me. Such good, <laughs> such good friends. You know, they've always protected my feet in times of danger. My favorite uh, thing with Brave Little Toaster is someone took the video of the air conditioner, like, you know, the the scene where the air conditioner just like freaks out and then blows up. They put um, Kelsey Grammer's voice to it uh, because there's this scene in this uh, low budget movie he did called The Money Plane. Uh, where he plays this like high rolling rich guy who's trying to get uh, uh, Adam Copeland to steal like millions and millions of dollars from the money plane. I cannot repeat many of the lines from the money plane trailer, but I encourage you if you're 18 years older or have a uh, parent or guardian with you to seek out the trailer for <laughs> money plane. Uh, so you can listen to Fraser Crane say all kinds of wild gangster stuff. And anyway, they took uh, the audio of him just having a complete meltdown during the movie and matched it up with the air conditioner. And it was it's great. It's terrifying, but it's great. God, that's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Yeah. Speaking of things that probably aren't wonderful. uh, (laughs) (laughs) What what did you choose for our topic today? So for our primary topic for today, uh, I wanted to talk about something that TTRPG Twitter has been blowing up about at least as of recording. Um, I suspect by the time we release this, it will have simmered down a little bit just because that is the way of the Twitter. Yeah, and in four or five days, your mileage may vary. (laughs) Exactly. But if it's something that basically all of TTRPG Twitter is talking about and we spend a fair amount of time on there, then maybe we should talk about it. Uh, And then, of course, as always, if you have your own opinions on these things, come pester us at bit.ly slash goblin discord. Or you can tweet us at way of Randall or at Black Cloak DM. Or if you want to get both of us at the same time at Goblins Growlers. Hell yeah. So today's topic, the thing that is burning up TTRPG Twitter right now is a tweet by Aaron King. They them. I sometimes see people say, paraphrasing here. Novels don't have a what is a novel section, so RPGs shouldn't have a what is an RPG section. And maybe those statements are made in jest, but I wanted to address it seriously because I'm a stick in the mud. Uh, Their Twitter handle is Aaron M.F. King. Mm -hmm. And I love this topic. I'm I'm not going to go through the whole thread. I'm just reading the first tweet of a rather significant thread that's, I would say, fairly eloquent as Twitter threads go, Mm -hmm. I wanted to jump right in and see, you know, where we stand on the 
do RPGs need a what is an RPG section? Because um, I knew we would have opinions and I knew that we'd be able to talk about this at length because you and I are strongly opinionated people, which is why the show exists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we could talk <laughs> about this in a very mature way. Um, this is ridiculous. Uh, and it gets even more ridiculous <laughs> as you read down the reply upon reply to themselves uh, on this Twitter thread. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. My initial response is that novels don't have introductory instructions because they're part of the hegemony. People with access to education are taught to read novels from a young age. Lots of people read novels for fun. Novels are reviewed in newspapers and magazines. This was not the case with RPGs until recently. It was a private act with no structural slash bureaucratic support. You couldn't learn about them in schools or video. I honestly wish more novels had a what is a novel section. I wish classics had a few pages contextualizing the place of the novel in the times they were published. I wish editors would say, hey, feel free to read this for fun. And if you feel stuck, here are the themes. Some books do that. It depends on the edition that you buy. So, That's usually like abridged copies, though, which are old enough and classic enough that you might need a little bit of context to fully understand and grasp the situations going on within them. Then they compare it to um, in manga where they'll have the, you might be reading this the wrong way, graphic showing you to read from right to left instead of left to right. I have a lot of trouble taking this seriously. I know when we were talking about this before we started recording, I was like, I'm, I, I have lost the line, or at least it's incredibly blurry between serious commentary and satire or parody like i don't i i cannot tell and they say you know the what is it like the most effective parody or satire is when you can't when you're not sure <laughs> so that may uh -huh. that that may well be what this is um that they just keep going like put a page like the like an instruction page into your book any book it's easy to skip for people who are familiar with the medium but it might uh, hook a kid who's reading your book in a Barnes and Noble or a game store where they, who's never read an RPG before. And uh, it's funny because if you read the initial tweet that starts out, maybe, you know, uh, maybe, you know, RPGs shouldn't have a what is an RPG section. Then we get further down and they start talking about, oh, well, novels should have a like an explanatory page in there. So they've completely flipped the argument at that point well, from RPGs shouldn't have this to non RPGs should have this. I think for clarity's sake, I think they are commenting on something they hear other people saying in that initial tweet. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, I have opinions on this and I'm here to weigh in. Oh, okay. And so I think the thread in general is them saying, yes, your RPG should have a, what is an RPG section, but your novel also should have a, what is a novel section. And I, oh, I am, I'm kind of torn on this, to be honest, because uh -huh. I think the average RPG does not need to go, oh, here's, here's how RPGs are. Like, here's how they are generally, because the average RPG is going to be very different from the next average RPG. They're going to use different rules. They're going to use different dice. They're going to use different stat structures. They're going to, like, the whole thing is completely on its head. You could say that it's a collaborative storytelling game, and I think that's fine, but I think most rule books do that already. So that's clearly not what we're talking about here. Yeah, I I think if you've got something like I'm just I'm looking at my bookcase. Like if you have something like Blades in the Dark, 
for example. Nobody's just stumbling on to Blades in the Dark as much as... (laughs) As much as we would like that, just in sort of the wider RPG community. And also, like, nobody's stumbling onto GURPS or something like that. Those things, you know, those things probably don't need any kind of, I'm going to say, disclaimer at the beginning. Like, here's an RPG. Now, if you'll recall, some years ago, when I ran uh, a session of uh, the Wendy's RPG that was produced by the Wendy's Hamburger Corporation... (laughs) That is the kind of thing I think could use something like that because they clearly designed it as a publicity stunt for, you know, for a wider audience to fall into. They were targeting RPG players with it, but there was discoverability, more discoverability potential there for for a wider audience. So having something in there that is uh, like, hey, here's what this is if you don't know what it is like maybe you heard of Dungeons and Dragons 20 years ago this is kind of like that uh because as as I said the the Wendy's basically took the SRD for fifth edition and uh similar to but legally distinct from (laughs) yeah it I you know from that perspective I can sort of see it like not needing to be in some like path like Pathfinder probably probably you don't need something like that in Pathfinder I guess with Dungeons and Dragons being the 800 pound gorilla, whether you like it or not, is going to probably be a lot of people's gateway drug into playing tabletop games might be worthwhile to have that in there. Well, there's also I think there's a lot of systems that are significantly more simplified than Dungeons and Dragons Mm -hmm. that are specifically made to be something that's a little easier for, you know, kids to pick up or parents to introduce folks to or classrooms even depending Mm -hmm. like there's i i want to say it's called wizards and warriors is one uh kids on bikes would be another Mm -hmm. like these are clearly they're not made for kids as in like you know you should be a kid if you want to play this but they are made with kids in mind so that kids will have an easier time picking them up i think it's important to have an introduction in something like that I think Dungeons and Dragons, if I recall correctly, the player's handbook does have a couple of pages right near the beginning that's like, here's what role playing is like. And here's, you know, some average stuff you can probably expect at a table if Mm -hmm. you pick up this game. I think stuff like that is fine. I think the thing that most RPGs need, if they don't already have, is an introduction to the style of play that that RPG is for. Oh, well, please expound on that. So I think something that is missing from a fair few RPGs, uh, I think Fantasy Flight Games put this into the DM's guide mm-hmm. of the Star Wars RPG. Uh-huh. It's, look, Brandon, I see your face. Star Wars RPG is going to come up a lot. It's one of the systems I know the best that isn't <laughs> D&D, okay? It's going to come mm-hmm. up a lot. It's like halfway through the DM's guide, they're talking about, oh... You know, Star Wars are this Star Wars RPG is more of a cinematic style game. The dice are set up to be more cinematic. How you issue like boost and bane dice are or setback dice rather are going to be more cinematically styled. All of that. That that it only gets explained to the DM and only like halfway through reading the guide for that system. Mm-hmm. I think that's a missed opportunity because it's a little bit like saying okay here's a car and here's how you drive it 
as opposed to saying, here's a car and here is what a car does. And then here's how you drive it. First of all, I would like to say that if we ever end up, if this podcast ever ends up popular enough to have its own merchandise, there should be a Josh themed shirt that says, <laughs> well, you know, in the, in the fantasy flight, Star Wars game. <laughs> And then it can have you drowning in a sea of dice because that's what you need to play that game. It's not a dice pool. It's a dice ocean. Oh, I love the dice ocean. Yes. I, uh, I accept this. I accept this fate. The dice ocean is actually what surrounds the planet of Camino. <laughs> um, I lost I lost what we were talking about. Oh, you were talking about <laughs> an explainer for how to like the style of play. And I think right. that... I think that is a really good idea because uh, especially if you start playing, if, you're, if your tabletop role-playing game career starts with Dungeons & Dragons and it's D&D in sort of a classic D&D setting like Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, Elves in the Forest type thing, uh, that's going to color how you just default play TTRPGs from then on. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, sort of a guide, you know, cause maybe if you have something like, uh, mothership, uh, you're going to want to evoke more of like, uh, an alien vibe, uh, just sort of being out there on your own, that kind of thing, a little, a little light horror, um, sort of thing. If you're playing Troika, uh, I think Troika actually even does this. It talks about how it's not your, not your standard tabletop role-playing game it gets way out there into the weird it's basically telling you not to take it super seriously but that doesn't mean to be like wacky or play it like comically i think there was there was a tie-in game speaking of wendy's there was a there was another product tie-in game uh last year it was last year or the year before i think it was last year we're almost at the end of this year, so that's why I'm confused, because I can't believe time has gone like that. But it was whenever uh, Gawain the Gr and the Green Knight came out, that movie. And ah. and there was a tie-in RPG with it that I saw a couple of people playing, I think, on Twitch. I was just kind of curious. I forget how I discovered that it was out, but I, I hunted around for it a little bit, and I found some folks playing it. And if I recall correctly, it is really trying to evoke that sort of stark, like Arthurian, but grounded a little bit in reality, not like Excalibur Arthurian, but something a little bit more grounded style of play. So sort of like standard chivalric knights plus more or less, but also with an air of hopelessness. And because it was, and somebody who's actually played it can correct me on this because I didn't want to pay for it or, or anything like that. Uh, Cause I felt like it was going to be a crappy uh, licensed tie-in and I grew up in the 90s uh, playing console video games so I know a crappy tie-in when I see it a crappy licensed property tie-in but I I don't think it really spelled out what the feeling of the game was supposed to be and I, I do think thematics are important yeah and this is something I've noticed a lot as we look at more of the itch games as we're talking about them more, is that a lot of these smaller creators know that what they're creating is a little bit off the beaten path. Mm -hmm. And so they give you that primer, that thing right at the top. You know, this this week's itch game right at the top is like, it's an old school inspired RPG where you take on the role of small appliances in a big world. You were made with a core set of functions 
and then it kind of does like a mood introduction for this game and that's right right at the top of the page so that you know before you go any further first three paragraphs you know what kind of game this is and the sort of vibe that it's going for and i think that's crucial i think that's mm -hmm. crucial to having something really be understood now i don't think it needs to be for everything you know if you're looking at powered by the apocalypse itself or gurps itself those could be almost anything like mm -hmm. that's those are almost systems made for creating systems within them no it's not almost like that <laughs> that's literally what they are <laughs> yeah so you know it but if you go into those systems like monster of the week which is a powered by the apocalypse system mm -hmm. then i i haven't actually looked at the rules for monsters of the week i probably should because mm -hmm. it's a fairly popular system but I bet that it's got something near the top that says, here's what kind of game this is. Here's the sort of play you can anticipate pretty close to the introduction of everything you're going to be doing. That's important, especially especially if you're designing a, a, a very sort of thematically oriented game with the idea that you want to try to use it for new players. Well, and also if you're trying to introduce that thematic game as something to go, hey, you know what's not really good at this sort of gameplay is mm -hmm. the 800 pound gorilla in the room and my game is made to be explicitly good at that and that's why you should pick it up as opposed to this other thing that has a lot more money behind it because you gotta you gotta work with the differentiators you've got that's part of marketing i just had a thought uh a, i i hope this doesn't derail us too much but Apparently, there's an official role-playing game for the Terminator franchise by Nightfall Games. They had a uh, they had a Kickstarter for it, uh, <laughs> but I don't I don't know why that came up. I, I guess I guess you you were talking about setting the thematics for something, and I just started wondering like what those would look like for various things. Like what what would the thematics for the terminator rpgb and of course it exists because it's one of the more popular science fiction franchises out there but you know would you start i guess you know would you start in uh sort of the post-apocalypse uh, after skynet takes control uh and you have it in sort of a, a hopeless era and your mission is to get to the time machine or something like that do you start it in 1984 and you have sort of the sarah connor chronicles kind of hope of stopping the rise of skynet because you could have a a single pro like a single game in a single property that could go in different directions like that now you know if you even want to think about like parts of terminator 2 there are options for like comedy of you know a machine trying to deal with a human world i mean the the most likely thing in my opinion is that that system is made for you are part of the human uprising with john connor maybe you get to be kyle reese <laughs> possibly Okay, uh, yeah, it, we, it, it just just for clarification, I'm reading through it some more and it says that it allows you it, it's designed for you to play resistance fighters struggling against the machine onslaught in the far future of the 2020s. Swish. Yeah. So like the smaller the game, the smaller the system, the more I think folks lean on that to be like, "Hey, 
here's my differentiator, here's why you should pick me up, here's why you should check me out. But I think that would be something to be very good for all games. I think all games could absolutely use that, because I think Wizards of the Coast knows that Dungeons & Dragons is not good for all forms of play. They know this in their heart of hearts. And if they were honest about it, I think that would help folks who are like, I want to play Star Wars, and so I'm just going to mod 5e so that I can play Star Wars within it. Because those folks get very frustrated very fast. Well, they're only modding uh, 5e to play Star Wars because they only have so much money they can budget for dice. <laughs> they, why doesn't everyone have an unlimited dice budget? This is something that I planned out years ago for myself. Well, then the answer is, well, you just use um, like a dice rolling program on your phone, but you have to put in so many dice that it just crashes the thing. I think there actually is a Fantasy Flight game Star Wars RPG dice rolling app that just like creates huge pools of dice on your phone screen. <laughs> That's awful. That's that's domestic <laughs> terrorism is what that is. Well, at least then you don't have to do your own math, you know. <laughs> I think it costs money, though. I think it's like two or three dollars. All right. Winding it back a little bit. So you're saying yeah. you, you were making the argument that um, sort of setting up your thematic, uh, the thematic thrust of your game is the thing that could differentiate you in a market. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm, and I will not say the name of it or describe it in too much detail because I don't want to act like I'm shilling for it. But I have, like, over the last year, been trying to design, like, a really simple game that I've been writing. And I think the thematics of it are where I'm kind of getting gummed up because I'm not sure what I want it to be. I don't know if I want it to be sort of something serious or tongue-in-cheek or go sort of a orthogonal to that in sort of a troika direction with the the kind of feelings and themes i want to evoke with it uh so that can be it can be really limiting i think especially like maybe you're not trying to design something as a skeleton key like uh like a gurps or or powered by the apocalypse or something like that but you're just not sure what what it's supposed to be and you know the it's easy to say that's a uh a poor design decision that you're going into it without knowing exactly what you want it to be. But I also think there's something to be said for letting, letting the spirit of the game manifest itself through the players who happen to be playing it in that moment. So that was really kind of a, like a long non answer navel gazing on something, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's an issue I'm running into right now. And it's a little bit relevant to what we're talking about. I think that's fair. Um, I will say on the reverse of this argument, talking about novels needing introductions and talking about theming and sort of like the cultural aspect of it, I really don't like that idea because I would much rather pick something up, read it, and then figure out the context either via context clues inside the book or by learning more about the situation around the book after the fact so what, that I what can do you like oh the theming makes so much more sense now what do you mean by the like around the book well so you know the author is living in a specific time period in a specific country that has specific events that are occurring around them at the time that they're writing literally anything mm -hmm. so that influences a lot of writers as far as like 
what they're writing about and what the sort of message of what they're writing is. I see what you're saying. You're you all you're talking about is just looking at it as a product of its time. Yeah, basically. And I don't want every author to feel like they need to write about all of the current events in the world as they're writing their book. That sounds exhausting. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay, so you're you're really just looking for placement. Kind of, yeah. And I also think there's something to be said for, regardless of author's intent, uh, people are going to read different messages in a specific series of books. Mm-hmm. And I think the same can be said for music. And that's honestly something that drives me nuts when a song is intentionally vague so that it can fit into a lot of different situations. Mm-hmm. And the artist that created it spends a lot of time going oh well you know like i prefer to let people have their own interpretations and then they come out like 15 years later and are like okay so there is a specific thing that i was talking about and here's what it is you're because you're totally not talking about alanis morissette and dave coulier right now uh no actually i think i was talking about phil collins oh okay (laughs) where he watched that person get murdered yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, whenever I think of that, I always think of uh, Alanis Morissette calling out Dave Coulier, which is just a weird sentence to say. <laughs> but that that sort of thing where it's like, oh, here's the context and here's, you know, all the information behind it. I kind of don't like it mm-hmm. because it makes it so that this thing that was ringing true to a lot of folks for a lot of different reasons Now it has a, this is its one intended purpose Mm -hmm. and it may still ring true to those folks, but I've found for a lot of people, once they have that definition described to them, they're like, oh, well, that's not really me. So I guess I don't identify with this song as strongly anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and just tell people that if you hear some honking in the background, that's because a car alarm is going off near me. I, I do hear, uh, yeah. it's not super loud, but I do hear a car alarm in the background. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe you were telling me to speed it up or something, you know? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be flashing the red light. <laughs> okay, it's gone now. We can leave that in. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave that in completely. Oh my God. Um, but anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> um, I was talking about how, you know, musicians will sometimes define what a song means even though they made it intentionally vague in the first place. Right. You're basically undoing all of the vagueness you worked on in the first place. Right, right. The thing that made it popular was the vagueness. Don't do that. Come on. Phil Collins witnessing a murder and then singing about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I was coming from, from the the one I'm trying to write. Uh, You know, I'm... I am trying to let it be what it wants to be for whoever wants to, like, I'm not going to say find meaning because that's pretentious and it's a different thing. I guess find enjoyment in the way they wish to experience the game. Um, I don't, I, I, I want them to be descriptive about it rather than me being proscriptive about it. I get that. And I think that's totally reasonable. I think the, the thing I'm trying to say for these RPGs is less about, oh, RPG authors need to be saying, like, here's how you play this game and here's what it's used for. And mm-hmm. more that if you know your game is good at something, highlight that. 
mm-hmm. tell people like, hey, this game's really good at cinematic style combat and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, let people know here's here's what's different about what I've got because you know, it will help people decide yeah. is this the tool that I'm looking for for the situation I have. I think Fate Core is really good about that because it pretty much just plasters right up front. You know, this is designed for cinematic style gameplay. If you don't exactly. want to do, if you don't want to play cinematic gameplay, other options are available. Yeah, and I think I think that's exactly the way to do it is to have like, here's what it's for. Like, here's what we found that it's really good at because we've been working with this system for a very long time, mm-hmm. and people are gonna people are going to take that on occasion as a challenge. Regardless, mm-hmm. they will be like. You may say it's for cinematic gameplay, but I'll show you. Yeah. The Power Rangers RPG. They say it's for having fun uh, playing Power Rangers, but I say it's for them telling you how to have fun playing Power (laughs) Rangers because it's the most on-rails BS I've ever seen. And how you have fun playing the Power Rangers RPG is by being in Angel Grove. In Angel As Grove, one of the first season Power Rangers, with a selection of six, perhaps seven colors, depending <laughs> on if you want to use optional rules, standard Megazords. I was very disappointed. We talked about that in February. <laughs> it's it's August now, and I'm still disappointed. Yeah, that's that's a pretty sure sign that you're very disappointed, as opposed to just kind of disappointed. I had somebody recently saying oh man i'm really looking forward to that transformers rpg that's coming out and i said and then i turned my chair around like i was teaching at a high school or something like that i was like let me rap with you because you probably won't like it because you're gonna get yeah. to play because you're gonna get to play like huffer sideswipe maybe jetfire or something like that and that's it you get to design your own transformer but you can only choose between these three trucks or these two cars. If you play a Decepticon, you have the choice of one plane or one helicopter or one tape recorder. <laughs> well, you know, you know, they're going to have your boy Bumblebee in there, who mm-hmm. is basically the Pikachu of the Transformers franchise. Maybe they'll put John Cena in it. Uh, but th- that would be trouble because like whatever rules they have for him, we won't be able to see. His time is now. There is a Transformer that one of like one of their powers is to um like cloak themselves essentially it might have been sunstreaker i can't remember but anyways john cena could do the voice for that one hell yeah i love this plan <laughs> okay <laughs> that, well there there's our digression for that 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 is this episode's <laughs> soviet arcade museum <laughs> except i don't have a bunch of links to support it this is really this is really turning into just a, a jaw session that the link to support it is the video to John Cena's theme. Brapadoo. <laughs> um, what else? What else do we have to say on guides for ha- essentially what is an RPG and how to play? Because I mean, actually, I... let's let's clarify this because I think we might actually be conflating parts of the discussion. Um, because uh, that tweet was really just talking about. Like, this is an RPG, and this is what you do in an RPG. It wasn't necessarily talking about setting up a thematic expectation for your gaming experience. Well, no, I, th- I, I feel like I was pretty clear at the point that I was like, I don't like that idea, but here's mm-hmm. an idea I do like that is similar. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, I mean, as long as you felt like you were clear about it, I just want to make sure we're not coming off as putting words in the author's mouth. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. I wouldn't want them to feel like I'm coming down on them at all or anything like that. Like, look, I'm not going to have the best opinions in the world. I'm just a dude. Fair enough. Um, But we will put a link to that tweet thread in the show notes for this, uh, along with uh, stuff for iToaster. We'll probably even, in the spirit of self-promotion, put in some stuff about what we did at Queen City Anime Con in the show notes. But uh, what what sort of final thoughts do you have on this on this discussion? I think adding a what is an RPG or a what is a novel section to the beginning of all RPGs or novels is unnecessary. I think it's a step too far. I think theming is the thing. Okay. Tell them what the theming is, what what the characteristics are so that they know what it's for. Okay. And I don't think novels need that at all because I think novels are meant to be explored from the individual perspective. Okay. All right. Well, I can agree with you there, especially given my own struggles with trying to put a game together with uh, theming that remains questionable in my head. So (laughs) I support and understand that. Um, So what do we need to tell folks uh, at the end of this episode? Well, for starts, uh, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast Give us a five-star review on whatever podcast app you're using, whether that's the Samsung podcast app, like apparently the vast majority of you, or iTunes or Spotify or what have you. If it's anything less than a five-star review, you can reach out to us directly, either at contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com, or via Discord, bit.ly slash goblindiscord, or via Twitter, at Way of Brandalore for Brandon, at BlackCloakDM for myself, at Goblins Growlers for both of us. And, uh, you know, another thing I thought it might be nice for us to do at the end of the episode is maybe give some folks some forward promotion for some stuff that might be coming up later this year from the old Goblins and Growlers podcast. Uh, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but are we not uh, scheduled to interview the author of A Groatsworth of Grotesques? We are, in fact, uh, as of recording in just a couple weeks' time. So Excellent. We will, we will have that interview up on the feed. Probably it won't be the next episode. I suspect it'll be the episode after that. Yeah, we actually have uh, an episode scheduled in between there. I'm looking at our spreadsheet that we came up with for our master list of episodes And we've got something in between there that between you and me, I don't think we're going to get recorded in time, but we'll find out. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I I don't like the sound of that. One thing I'm really excited about that's going to be coming up probably in October for Halloween is we're going to be doing a discussion of the Satanic Panic uh the uh all the all the folks getting up in arms about dungeons and dragons and it's turning kids to satan turning them evil all this stuff and we're going to watch and review the tom hanks classic mazes and monsters oh my god i'd almost forgotten we were gonna do that i also looking at the calendar almost forgot that this episode releases the day before spelljammer yeah, 5th edition Spelljammer comes out tomorrow if you're listening to this on day of release. So head to your uh, friendly local gaming shop and pick up a copy and help keep them in business. If you're in the Richmond area, I think you know where this is going. You can always swing by uh, Alpha Comics and Games, conveniently located in Willow Lawn. 
If you're not located in Richmond, Virginia, then find a friendly local game shop and support them because they love to have friendly local folks supporting their friendly local game shop. You could also call Alpha Comics and Games and see if they could conveniently ship something to you from Willow Lawn. They absolutely can ship things to you. I don't know how broadly <laughs> they want us offering that service, but you know what? Reach out. The worst they can do is say no. Yeah. <laughs> don't turn away business. Don't turn away business. <laughs> I, I don't think they would, honestly. Yeah. We've also got, uh, for November, we've got a special like food-themed episode for Thanksgiving that I know you're looking forward to because it was your idea. I was. I I am so excited for this idea. I, again, uh, QCAC, I feel like, drained all of my brain cells because everything you're talking about right now, I'm like, oh, yeah, we did it. We did talk about doing that. God, that's going to be so good. Yeah, we sat down and said, let's plan out our episodes for the rest of the year. <laughs> and then we did, like professionals. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, Already some issues have arisen that are going to <laughs> cause problems with those plans because we are just two people doing this uh, among all the other things in our lives. And also COVID got in the way of some stuff. QCAC got in the way of some stuff. So we'll get there. We'll get to the end of the year and have episodes every two weeks. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. got this. We can do yeah. this. I believe yeah. in us. But boy, howdy, am I looking forward to that uh, Mazes and Monsters episode. I've got a... I've got to read that book on the satanic panic uh, first so I can have like footnotes and things that we can talk about. That'll be that'll be pretty good. Hell yes. I'm very yeah. excited. Um, but like Josh said, telephone, tell a friend, uh, telegraph, whatever. I did it out of order about the Goblins and Growlers <laughs> podcast. But uh, we will catch you in two weeks. Again, if you're listening to us on the Samsung podcast app, thanks. Uh, you know, let us let us know how you found out about us. You can email us contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com or any of the various methods of contact we have listed throughout this episode. Uh, probably the most convenient is to join our discord bit.ly slash goblin discord. And you can just be like, yo, uh, Samsung homie here. <laughs> uh, I also use a Samsung phone, but I didn't realize it had a podcast app until this happened the other day. <laughs> Go figure. Go yeah. figure. But uh, I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore. I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM. And we will catch you uh, in a couple weeks with uh, an episode, subject of which is to be determined, our extensive planning notwithstanding. <laughs> Bye, y'all.